Alrighty, everyone, welcome back. This is Tavis Killian and Anthony McDaniels back with it. Again, another episode of the Wacky World of Energy. We've got some new updates to the uh, Nord Stream chapter of the Ukraine story and plenty of other news to discuss. But if you missed anything, that's fine. We update this weekly, so if you're new to the show, we suggest you hit subscribe on YouTube or follow through whatever platform you're listening to. Otherwise, Anthony, please take it away. Well, howdy, howdy, howdy. Another wacky world of energy this week, huh, Tavis? Mm -hmm. Oh boy, what kind of stupid crap do we have to talk about this week? <laughs> <laughs> I will start this off with not particularly an article. There was an article on it um, on July 22nd from Heart Energy, but basically the title of it that uh, uh, Putin was discussing things um, with the likes of uh, Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, MBS. So uh, sounds like to me that uh, following Biden's trip over there not that long ago, there was a subsequent meetings and conversations. Uh, I think it was phone mainly, but uh, with Putin in the Middle Eastern crowd, particularly Saudi Arabia. So uh, boy, to be a fly on that wall for that <laughs> conversation, right? Um, oh, yeah. I'm sure they're even trying to figure that out through the uh, intelligence agencies right now. What, what did they discuss? How did they discuss it? You know, so uh, anyway, um, yeah, so we'll see what happens with all that. Yeah, and, uh, you know, from there, you know, we can just go on and uh, talk about what, what's the first article that we have up here, Tavis. It's a well, ring zone article. I'll let you take it. This could have been what Putin and uh, the Saudi prince were talking about, but this here is an article from RigZone, published Monday, July 18th, titled, OPEC will struggle to balance supply and demand in 2023. Opens up, OPEC producers will need to pump crude at the fastest pace in five years in 2023 if they are to balance oil supply and demand. Capacity constraints suggest they may struggle. The latest forecast from the IEA, the U.S. Energy Information Administration, and the Organization of Petroleum Exporting Countries all show global oil demand rising strongly again in 2023, despite growing fears over mounting inflation and weakening economic growth. A lack of investments in new crude production capacity means that OPEC group of producers will need to pump way more to meet demand. All three forecasters see global oil demand increasing by at least 2 million barrels a day next year, taking it back above the 2019 level for the first time since the COVID pandemic struck in early 2020. And this is something Rare Petro has been talking about for a long time. We saw demand coming back pretty quickly. Looks like the time frame may have been a bit skewed, but still near future, going to go up 2 million barrels a day. And like we've brought up in other episodes, there's lots of things constraining production, whether that's politically related things, whether that's insurgency related things, whether that's new groups coming to the table and switching up leadership. There's just a whole slew of problems, sanctions included, that are stopping people from reaching this. And uh, it's not exactly reassuring that all three of these organizations predict a growth. Don't you agree? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree entirely. And not only do they predict a growth, but we just do not see the CapEx. We do not see the big government plans to try and you know secure or develop particularly their own energy sources right they everybody keeps wanting to go grab at whatever whatever spare barrels might be available to them from some other country and you know it's just you know it's a i i think they're sending a warning to everybody or they're trying to they're like mm -hmm. hey guys uh yeah demand's not going down um 
I mean, let's be honest, when the whole world shut down in 2020, Goldman Sachs and other banks still estimated that world oil demand was still over 70 million barrels a day. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that was... <laughs> That was about as low as you could expect the demand to go, period. Yep. Um, and that was with nobody driving mm-hmm. because they were freaked out, right? I mean, it was a lot of stuff not moving because everybody was uncertain what was going on with this new virus from two years ago that came out on the global stage in a, in a, in a fierce manner. I mean, we have demand back at where it was before COVID. We have multiple agencies that domestic and international and groups saying demand is going up that's what we're projecting you know i mean you can even go onto the eia's website and you can look for short-term energy outlook and you can look at the archives and it's like they keep up in the price of oils that they see going forward in the next two years with every passing month almost since the beginning of the year yep because they see, they're all starting to see the same thing, you know? And it's a big freaking problem. And part of the reason it's a big freaking problem is, you know, there was something, it's the source is Bloomberg, and it's a graph that I really, really struck me a couple of months ago. I'll bring it up right now. Um, I'm sure people can find it by, you know, Googling or trying to figure out this information, but the source was from Bloomberg, and, and, it's, a, and it's a bar chart. In this bar chart, and Tavis, I text that to you as well. Um, if you want to throw it in the video aspect of this, mm-hmm. uh, that bar chart starts in 2012 and it goes to 2021. Now, in 2012, 2013, 2014, U.S. oil and gas exploration and production it was aggregate capex in millions of U.S. dollars. Okay, so you see this thing living in. 2012 through the middle of 2014 north of a hundred billion dollars i believe these are quarterly bars so that was a hundred billion dollars a quarter it was just absolutely nuts you know Mm -hmm. it was just the the numbers are, are really 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 high um and and, and, and what do we get here? We have the oil price collapse in 2015. And then that spend of 100 to 120 goes down to 40 to 60. And then in 2018 and 2019, it crawls back up to just under 80 billion per quarter. And, and, and where do we find ourselves on this thing beginning in 2021 it was down there around 40 oh, you know so as low as 20 through 2020 i mean we can't keep having this capex yeah so i mean during covid i mean that number dropped to probably all-time lows in in real terms since the oil industry began um probably low multi multi multi-decade lows in in nominal <laughs> terms um that's going to have a follow-on effect, right? That significant reduction of CapEx spend for about a year and a half, maybe two years compared to where it would be, should be, 
and that's just the US, is going to have a huge effect on the supplies we bring online. You know, a lot of people out there, I know you can tell from these projections these agencies are making, are just assuming that US oil production will still hang around 12 million barrels a day for the next two years. Yeah, I just, with that amount of a trough in CapEx budgets for that period of time compared to historical norms, I don't see how we hang in at 12 million barrels a day or go north. I don't see the basically what I'm saying is in the next year or two, I don't see the United States set up to fill that gap that OPEC may not be able to fill. We can do it, but it, to happen in the next year or two, it does not look like it's in the cards. Mm -hmm. I mean, all we've really done, if you want to dig into the data, is we have gone in and completed drilled wells for about a two-year stretch. We've got that duck inventory, drilled and uncompleted wells, was over 9,000 wells in this country, according to the EIA data, you know, by the end of 2020, stacked up. And it makes sense that it did. But we've spent that time since bringing in almost 5,000 ducks. And the ones that are left probably aren't the best wells. So the United States has been able to slightly increase oil production from 10 to 11 to 12, still not getting back to that 13 we were when COVID broke out. Uh, well, the only reason that it's even hung in where it is is largely because of the contribution of all those wells that were drilled and just needed to be fracked. And now that lever's been largely pulled. We're not going to get the same effect out of the next ducks. We obviously don't have the CapEx in the wings over the last year or two to set up the production that would be coming on this year or next from new wells, not wells that were already drilled. And it's new wells that will have to come online in mass to keep the U.S. production up. And so really this... You know, Rig's own article says OPEC will struggle to balance supply and demand. I don't think OPEC is alone. I think the United States, I think the global oil industry is going to have a hard time balancing supply with demand, especially when you have a lot of political agendas out there still trying to get off of what they call fossil fuels, what <laughs> I'd rather just call hydrocarbons is what they are. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, look, people are still using this stuff. So we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, next article up here, we've got an oil price article uh, dated July 25th, day of our recording here. It says the Brent WTI spread widens to over $8 as U.S. gasoline demand slows. So let's see what they got here in the meat of this article a little bit. Um, the spread between Brent crude prices and WTI hit its widest level in over three years on Monday, with WTI down more than $8 compared to Brent as U.S. gasoline demand falls. Brent crude was trading at 104.8 on Monday, while WTI was trading at 96. Uh, 12. So, or 104.80 for Brent and 96.12 for. Uh, WTI representing a spread of over $8 a barrel. Uh, 
So I'm not going to go through every part of this article, but essentially uh, it sounds like the analogy or the conclusion they are drawing is that this is because of a drop of gasoline demand in the United States. They say a little bit here, last week demand for gasoline saw only a slight increase while U.S. crude inventory saw a large increase. Yeah. And at the same time, total domestic gasoline stocks increased. There was actually quite a large um, in, uh, increase in, in gasoline stocks, still below their five-year band. Still, but they're I pretty believe. close to breaking over, or well, into again. Yeah. In the meantime, analysts are anticipating that the Federal Reserve will raise interest rates on Wednesday after June consumer prices gained 1.3%. Um, okay, the reason they bring that up is... Uh, is I think they're trying to spin the whole, you know, U.S. recession nerves weighing on price. Um, yeah, it could be that. could be some other things. Yeah. What do you think other things it could be, Tavis? Do you want to take a stab at it? Well, one of the actually greater questions I had about this article, I wasn't looking at it so much from an implication of consumer demand, gasoline demand, more of in the past, you've seen a little bit more than me. Do spreads like this generally have a violent shifts in where the market's getting their oil? I mean, the next inventory that comes out from the EIA, is the United States going to be down 10 million barrel drawdown because we shipped out a bunch of oil? Or is it usually a bit slower than that? You know, um, there's trends to these things. Anybody can look it up in the EIA. But this, this to me... The spread between WTI and Brent goes beyond some theory that there's fears of a U.S. recession leading to a drop in gasoline demand. I think it's it could be that. Commodity prices just running away in Europe? No, I think there's more of a concern that there might be an issue trading energy and the market is starting to price that in. Mm. Okay, now think about this for a second. The majority of our light sweet crude that comes out, WTI, mm -hmm. Our refiners are not kitted to make gasoline out of. They could, but it's too hard. So what do we do? We put it on a boat, ship it over the ocean, somebody else makes gasoline out of it, right? But now there are these things going on in India and China where mm. fuel exports yep. are either being windfall taxed, yeah, mm -hmm. or just not allowed at the same level they were. I want you to think about that for a minute. What does that imply? It implies that maybe the WTI won't have as much of a market for the near term because of uncertainty on who's going to take it to refine in mass and what they'll mm -hmm. pay for it. Okay. If that is the actual reason that's contributing to an increasing spread between Brent and WTI, I will postulate right now that that will create an even larger bull swing in the energy markets because that kind of a spread is going to deter more and kick the can down the road more the economic incentive for the shale drillers to get as busy as they would otherwise. I mean, I can tell you right now that $100 oil does not seem to be moving the rigs. Yeah. It's only two, three, four a week. What happens if Brandt's at 150 and WTI's at 110? No, then there's probably going to be a big demand for U.S. oil. There will be, but here's the problem. That could happen if these spreads increase because of a concern of being able to, how do we export U.S. oil? Remember, 
when the Freeport, Texas LNG facility went boom a couple of months ago, what happened to natural gas prices in Europe? They skyrocketed. Oh, they went up, yes. yeah. What happened to natural gas prices in the United States? At the same time. By they fell hard, yes? Mm-hmm. Why? Because of a concern of output capability to the global markets. Yes? Mm-hmm. So if there is any concern from either a physical situation or a political and trading situation of sending a lot of our crude somewhere else to get refined in the fuels and then sent back to us, then that will in and of itself create a larger spread to the detriment of WTI against Brent. I am not saying that is why this is happening. <laughs> But I am saying it is one theory that goes a little bit deeper and has a little bit more um, nuance to it, looking at the macro picture rather than, well, it's just because U.S. gasoline demand fell. Yeah. Uh, Maybe, but U.S. gasoline demand usually falls on the second half of summer. It just does. Mm. So, (laughs) anyway... We'll have to watch it, but I am more concerned not with the demand of gasoline in this country. I am more concerned with all the stuff we're making that's light sweet. Are there going to be more headwinds getting into the global markets at a good price? Mm-hmm. And the longer that there's a, the longer that WTI is at a significant discount to Brent, the further down the road it takes before the U.S. oil companies have as high of a price to go and want to go develop more of our stuff here. So it's just something that adds more time to the equation before you get a whole bunch of rigs stood up in this country. Because if you were trading $20 higher in WTI, your rig count would probably be higher a little bit sooner, is what I'm saying. right? If you were at an $8 premium rather than at an $8 discount, That'd be a big difference. I don't know if that'll happen. I guess it could too. But the point is that from a resource standpoint, the United States has a great opportunity to help fill the global gap in hydrocarbons. Yes. Mm -hmm. But the longer that our crew trades at a discount to global benchmarks, the more of a headwind there is against that to begin with. Right? And then mix all that in with what we just talked about about having a very low capex spend in this domestic US industry for a couple of years now. You put all that together and you don't have any ducks anymore, that at least all the good ones are spent up. Mm-hmm. And it's a recipe for a very significant issue with our consumers getting what they want for the price they want it. And it kicks the can down the road further. The United States oil industry has a complex being able to really kind of jump in and beef up global supply gaps. Mm -hmm. It's all stuff worth watching, you know. I mean, with that, I will uh, kick it over to you, Tavis, to tee up our next article here about some uncertainty over Russian gas. Why don't you go ahead and take that? Yeah, you're right. I mean, this ties in perfectly with what we were just talking about. Maybe we've got some stories playing in that will accelerate the timeline. One of them, very popular today. This was actually published on the 23rd. It's been a few updates today, but we'll give you this article first. From oil price, uncertainty over Russian gas supply threatens EU cohesion. Here's the bullet points. German Foreign Minister Barbock urges Canada to deliver the gas turbine to Russia. 
Baerbock, full stop of Russian gas flows could lead to popular uprisings in Germany. And Europe must brace for further disruptions within the next couple of months. And it really seems like Germany's taken a lead role in deciding what to do with it. But hey, Nord Stream seems to terminate in their country, so I see why they're doing so. Here's the body of the article. The Nord Stream 1 gas supply saga took another turn on Friday. That would have been last Friday, the 23rd. Canadian newspaper Globe and Mail reported that German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock has warned Ottawa that if Canada kept sanctions in place, they could effectively block the delivery of a missing gas turbine to Gazprom. Berlin could be forced to suspend military and economic aid to Ukraine. Baerbock reportedly indicated that a full stop of Russian gas flows via Nord Stream 1 could lead to popular uprisings in Germany. German media outlets R&D quoted Baerbach on Wednesday, stating that domestic political repercussions played an important role in negotiations with Canada. Berlin seems to have put a direct link between its support for Ukraine and the return of a gas turbine to Gazprom, which is remarkable to say the least. Baerbach repeated that if no Russian gas was flowing via Nord Stream 1, Berlin would need to concentrate on possible internal uprisings and may not be able to support Ukraine any further. <laughs> Baerbach also reiterated to the German press that Germany will continue to need Russian gas in the future. In a reaction to the Globe and Mail article, German ambassador Sabine Sparwasser said that Germany has never been threatening Canada. But as you can see, when you say both of those things, hey, if we don't get our gas back, we got to worry about ourselves and stop helping Ukraine. Pretty strong implications there. Well, let's not forget that Germany used to be split up in half. <laughs> East and West Germany. I'm, I'm, look, I, look, this stuff's getting real dicey, mm. everybody. Real dicey. And I'm sure they're sitting over there in Moscow just laughing. Oh, sure. Because you've got these stories of what, trying to come up with, oh, we're all as Europe going to come together and reduce gas consumption by 15%. And different countries are saying, well, hell yeah. no, I'm getting the butt end of this deal. Yeah. The cohesion's well, being lost. I also think that you and I ought to take a little victory lap, Tavis, about that whole Nord Stream, what might happen when after the maintenance. That was all you. You don't need to give too much credit to me. What did we say? What did we say? We said, watch them just actually bring it back online because mm -hmm. everybody's sitting waiting for it not to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but they're going to come back line pretty good. No hitch, really. But then over the coming weeks and longer, yeah, we will have, oh, well, we can't have this. There, there's maybe a little supply constraint. I mean, look, the thing came in at 40% capacity. Came off at 60. Came on on time. Almost exactly what we postulated. Mm -hmm. Did you hear about the news within the past, what, 90 minutes? I don't know if you've seen. 90 minutes? Ooh, hot off the press. What <laughs> yeah. is uh, Russia actually very recently, they warned that by Wednesday there's a problem with the turbine. They might actually have to drop to 20% of capacity. But today mm -hmm. they just up and did so Friday, they said, oh, everything's good over the weekend in the coming days and weeks. Like you mm -hmm. said, wait, there's something wrong. Today, 20% mm -hmm. of capacity. Yep. Yep. These idiots. <laughs> These idiots in Europe are sitting there just, I mean, now it's getting bad. Now it's getting bad. I mean, mm -hmm. you got, well, I don't think Germany and Canada will be enemies, mm -hmm. but they are over Canada's antics, like, you are creating a problem for me. Mm -hmm. This is creating fractures in the NATO group. People are getting mad because somebody's moral opinion is being used to override somebody else's actual need. I mean, the people in Berlin are openly saying, if 
we don't get energy, we might lose control of our government. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to process that for a minute. That's significant. And if Germany falls, the economic capabilities of the European Union get shot in the heart. Germany is the biggest economy in the European Union. It's pretty much the only one that manufactures at scale. How do you cripple a manufacturing industry? You put in question their energy supplies. You cripple Germany's economic engine. You cripple Europe's economic engine. You cripple Europe's economic engine. And let's see who lines up to who. Because at the end of the day, what makes you feel good and what you actually need when things get bad and weather gets cold? Because I can promise everybody right now that whatever you believe is happening with global climate, winter's going to be colder than right now and probably by a lot colder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They're still going to need heat. Oh, yeah. And grain yeah. and all of these things are, mm -hmm. are falling apart oh, yeah. you take away natural gas supplies. I mean... You have to start asking hard questions. How much do we give to the hospital? How much do we give to chemical manufacturing so that industry doesn't collapse? Mm. I mean, we're getting to the point where, like we said, people are going to have to make some hard decisions, and it's really going to tear this whole thing apart because at the start, it feels good to go Russia bad, yay Ukraine, but now it's a little bit more involved than that. Other countries are starting to become personally affected, and yeah, it's, once you it know, comes to that, they're worried about themselves. Yeah. You know, and now you have people from, say, Hungary, the Hungarian politi politicians are going to Moscow and talking to them, you know, mm -hmm. because they need them bad. You know, Hungary, what do they need? Like 85 per Budapest is 85% dependent on Russian gas. Mm -hmm. Hungary has been opposing EU calls for sanctions on gas imports. Yeah, just saying. I, I don't think I'm excited for the winter. That's not the right word, but... I'm eager to see sort of what happens in the news. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, why don't we circle it back across the pond to North America here, Tavis? What's the next article that we have up? Well, you want to talk about this Canadian one, or we can go straight into Halliburton. Oh, we'll talk about this real briefly. Province blast feds over target for fertilizer emissions. <laughs> and essentially what this is, I'll God. speed it up so we don't spend too much time here. Sri Lanka, one of the contributing factors to their collapse and inflation really was the fact that the minister said, we're going to try and stimulate domestic economies by working with ourselves. No more importing other fertilizers. We're just going to use organic fertilizers from within the country. So grain yields dropped a lot and fuel prices went up and everything sort of accumulated into this really, really bad package. And that's why you saw those riots in Sri Lanka. So now fast forward a week and a half, two weeks to today. And uh, well, over the past couple of weeks, President, sorry, Prime Minister Trudeau has also pitched the idea saying they can meet a lot of their nitrogen emission related goals by stopping the manufacturing of fertilizers and pretty much every... Uh, what, what province's minister of agriculture said no this is a terrible idea please don't do this sri lanka mm. just did it grain outputs down worldwide and uh, i mean david blackman put a great article on linkedin but I, I can't believe that we have people making policy that are so blind to something that happened not a decade ago not last year earlier this month <laughs> yeah i think the world is going to end up a lot stronger from all this stuff i actually am I do believe that, but I will tell you ooh, right now, this will be painful. 
This will be painful for the quote-unquote leaders of the developed world to swallow the tough reality pill that whatever their leanings are for green and emissions and all this other stuff, let me tell you something. A lot of people who are poor and hungry don't care about the environment. They don't care about endangered species. And they damn sure can't care about what the climate might be in 100 years. It's not practical. If you starve people and you deprive them of energy, they aren't going to care about your ideals at all. So be careful how much you push. It is not a threat. Mm -hmm. It is wake up and see what's happening around the world. Just don't think you're immune to it because your country's been, quote-unquote, developed longer. Because you can undo those things, but it's a stupid political decisions. Mm -hmm. You're so worried about one thing, you're going to create a problem that's 100 times bigger. Be careful, be careful, be careful. I do believe the people in this country and other countries will wake up and hold their leaders to account. And they'll elect new leaders in. I do believe that will happen, but I do also believe that more pain will be required before that actually happens. So buckle up for the next couple of years, everybody, because I don't see this energy and food issue getting any better. Mm -hmm. We have enough problems in the practical, physical, economic market world, and now we just cannot get out of our own ways with more of these stupid policies. So it all ties together. And with that, <laughs> we'll bring it over into the U.S. here. Woo! We got a warning. Who do we got a warning from somebody who would know a thing or two about fracking? Halliburton warned significant <laughs> frack growth may be impossible this year. Now, that's a pretty strong statement. Tavis, oh. I'll let you kick this off here. Who was it? What's the date? What are the bullets? You go ahead in the body and I'll pick it sure up. Sure thing. Here. This is from Oil Price, written, of course, by Zero Hedge. We love his stuff. Published on the 21st of July this month. Here's the bullets at the top, which keep in mind what we've been talking about for the past few weeks on this show. After years of divestment, oil field equipment is running especially low. Halliburton CEO Jeff Miller is warning that oil field equipment market is so tight that oil explorers are already discussing 2023 projects. Miller noted that diesel-powered and electric equipment are in short supply, quote, making it almost impossible to add incremental capacity this year, end quote. Here is the body. Fracking is an oil extraction technique that involves high-pressure water blended with sand and chemicals forced into underground rocks known as shale to capture oil and gas. The process was revolutionized by horizontal drilling in the 1980s and 2000s, transforming America into the world's largest oil producer overnight. American shale drillers have shown how quickly they can boost oil production over the years, but after several years of divestment and decarbonization, the days of fracking roaring back to life are over. Halliburton Company's CEO Jeff Miller confirmed this to analysts during a conference call on Tuesday. He said that oil field equipment, the market for oil field equipment is so tight that oil explorers are already discussing 2023 projects. So, hey, 2022, toss it in the bin. We're looking even further ahead. Miller said oil companies don't have enough equipment for newly leased wells this year. He said diesel-powered and electric equipment are in short supply. This development is another setback for the Biden administration's efforts to increase U.S. oil production to ease the worst inflation in 40 years ahead of the midterm elections in November. A similar message was conveyed by 
ExxonMobil, whose CEO said that the global oil markets might remain tight for another three to five years, primarily because of a lack of investment since the pandemic began. Man, we just keep getting the same message over and over from multiple mm -hmm. sources. Mm -hmm. And some of these are exceedingly credible, far more credible than us in the little articles we dig up. This is getting real. Yep. Now, oh, man. Man. So what is what is ExxonMobil? Darren Wood yeah, says it's time for thing. oil firms to catch up on investments needed to ensure enough supply. Mm -hmm. Ah, yeah. I'll yeah. pick it up from here. Uh, back to the shale patch where even if exploration companies were obtaining fracking equipment for drilling new or existing wells, the frack sand used to blast through the shale rock is in short supply. Guess we're short on sand, too. Mm -hmm. And for everybody who wants to be... Uh, think they're cute you can't just use the sand from all those dunes in the <laughs> middle east either it doesn't have the right shape mm -hmm. so uh russell hardy the ceo of the world's largest independent oil merchant vital also believes oil prices will remain high because the market can't see where additional supply is coming from to balance demand hmm man Neither U.S. Shale nor OPEC Plus appears to be increasing output in the immediate future for their own respective reasons, indicating tight crude supplies will keep energy prices elevated and inflation high. All the Biden administration can hope for now is a recession to curb consumer demand to rebalance markets. And that is not my words. That's the words from the article. So author of the article. Um, yes, no, we keep hearing the same thing over and over. And I'm going to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. Listen, California went green for 40 years. They still use as much oil as they did then. Mile per capita usage has dropped largely. It's attributable to increases in fuel efficiency and general electrification of technology. Things like, uh, I don't need a stack of books in my shelf to have an encyclopedia. It's on my phone. Okay. The end of the day, we're still using a lot of oil, even in places that have tried to go green for decades. The European Union for decades has tried to go green and get off. And yet, where's their problem? Where this whole thing comes from is, oh my God, we still need hydrocarbons. Did you think about that before? No, you ignored it. Remember that you live in a society that everything is touched by hydrocarbons. Modern society is powered by hydrocarbons, period. End of story. The materials that we use are largely composed of, touched by, or influenced by, or mobilized by hydrocarbons. It's as simple as that. The world's got to wake up to this thing. I mean, I'm going to say it over and over. I'm going to sound like a broken record. That's fine. I'm trying to do this almost every episode now. How many more pieces of information do we have to have? You've got places that have gone green for decades and decades and decades, and yet their problems are lack of energy security. Energy security in general, but in particular hydrocarbons, because why? It's the base of your energy system, period, end of story. Everything else is a supplement. If you don't like it, why don't you go learn physics and create something new? Look, it's as simple as that. Or learn physics and discover something new. Then learn engineering and make something new. Look. We have this beautiful thing that comes from the planet. It's made from the planet. It's called hydrocarbons from the rock. The planet makes it. The planet can use it. The planet can deal with it. It's as simple as that. Whatever we want to believe doesn't change the fact that we're still using a lot of those things. And it's not going to change just because of a political desire. 
right? Because these people that are saying that stuff are tapping on their phone that has hydrocarbons in it. Hmm. The electricity powering those cloud computing things and those algorithms are likely being utilized. 80, 90% of that is coming from either coal, oil, or nuclear mm -hmm. at any given time. Okay. So that's the reality. And then with all of those realities, we'll finish it up with one more domestic article here. Oh my God. Oh God. Tavis, I need you to read this because I'm going to get too lit up. I need to be quiet for a minute. What's our last <laughs> article? What is, what, where is it from and what does it talk about? All right. Picking up right where Anthony left off. We've got just about the worst news you could want to hear regarding that topic. This is from World Oil titled Biden crackdown on Permian pollution to curb crude output. The industry warns this was published on the 21st of July. The Biden administration's plan to crack down on smog in the oil-rich Permian Basin threatens to curb crude production while gasoline prices are near record highs and energy scarcity grips the globe, the industry warned Thursday. Oil's lobbying heavyweights are appealing directly to top White House officials to slam the brakes on the plan, arguing that any, more to re any move to redesignate drilling hotbeds in Texas and New Mexico as violating ozone air quality standards poses such high economic risks it should be subject to greater analysis and public scrutiny. The EPA's proposal to cut smog raises the potential for increased operating expenses, decreased federal leasing revenues, permitting delays, and decreased oil and natural gas production in the nation's most productive basin, the group said in a letter to leaders of the White House Office of Management and Budget and its Regulatory Affairs Office. The missive was sent Thursday by the API, AE. American Exploration and Production Council, Texas Oil and Gas Association, and other groups who have spent weeks huddling over the potential consequences of the ozone plan since it was first outlined. I mean, why are we using this seemingly only yardstick, emissions, as a way to guide everything? I mean, so far it's torn down Sri Lanka because they lowered their nitrogen emissions and that played into inflation. We're doing it here and it's just further decreasing the amount of available energy resources. I get that's one thing, but what they say in the article, the high economic risks that should be subject to greater analysis and public scrutiny. I agree with that. This is a now problem, not a one degree to two degree raise in 10 years problem. Yeah. And I find it highly curious and uh, not at all coincidental that this thing comes out, not even, has it even been a month since the Supreme Court said the EPA <laughs> can't tell yeah, utilities how to deal with emissions, mm -hmm. pass the laws in Congress as meant to be. Don't have just sweeping authority as a federal agency. Um, the EPA worrying about the ozone layers in Texas while they, the administration in Washington wants green technologies from China is absolutely stupid. It's beyond, it's, it's, it's so much intellectual dishonesty. It's, it's maddening. I mean, China is the exhaust pipe of the freaking world. So you can't use the argument that we're so worried about emissions, so we're going to use the federal agency called the EPA to tell Texas that they can't develop like they want to in their jurisdiction because the air affects us all. Really? Then why don't you ask why all this junk that you're getting from China is so polluting over there? We all share the same ozone layer, don't we? We all share the same atmosphere, don't we? But no, that doesn't matter because it's not part of the narrative. That's not popular. No, no. We need to worry about emissions here. We need to worry about emissions here. You're telling me we need to worry about global emissions. Here is not the problem. Not even close. Look it up. 
Where do they all come from? Ugh, jeez. You know, I hope Texas fights this thing, and I hope the EPA gets smacked again. You know, no, 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 you're out of your lair. You're out of your element. You are not here to tell everybody else how to operate. That's not your... You don't have congressional, legal, or constitutional authority to do so. And the thing of it is, um, I wouldn't imagine the Supreme Court would have any different opinion on this in its trend or in its direction than they did on the, uh, the utility judgment, right? Mm-hmm. But that could still take a couple of years. And what kind of damage are we going to do in the, between then and now? And I can tell you right now, regardless of what laws get upheld or what jurisdictions fight what, like Texas, what do they fight? I can tell you that right now, the chiefs over there and those particularly in, in the Permian Basin are sitting there and asking people to model up. How much does our OPEX go up? How much does our cost to operate go up? if we have to be at certain thresholds and do all this monitoring and have all this capture. They're going to look at that right now and they're going to set their plans assuming that they need to be ready for that reality. What does it mean? Yet another thing to kick the can down the road further before we get some real serious U.S. production. And I say U.S. when I say the Permian here because the Permian makes, well, Texas makes pretty much as much production as the entire country did in 2008. I think it's over 5 million barrels a day. I think they make more oil in Texas than Iraq. Uh And to hit the Permian is the heart of that and hit them with some EPAs. We need to worry about ozone stuff. I mean, look, I'm all for doing things cleaner. That's not what this is about. What I think is downright dirty from a regulatory standpoint is that they're throwing this out there in the midst of all these problems that we have and they're doing it weeks after the Supreme Court said the EPA doesn't have jurisdiction to tell utilities how to operate when it comes to emissions, that those laws need to be passed in Congress. And so what, they throw this out there now? We'll see what happens. Another thing to watch, I guess, (laughs) is that, you know, maybe they'll declare a climate emergency so that the president can go in here and do all more ridiculous things that don't help the future of our energy nor the cleanliness of our environment. Because again, the more poor you make the average people because energy is harder to come by, which also can turn into food harder to come by, the less the general population of the planet is going to give two craps about the climate. They, they were going to have bigger problems. The climate is important. I want the planet to be cleaner and hospitable and all this other stuff, but you can't get there by impoverishing mass amounts of people. That is not going to make you a better world. I just, we'll have to see how this all pans out, but I mean, we're kind of getting up there on time now, Tavis, so I'll stop with my banter and tee <laughs> it off to you to close us up. And not a problem at all. I mean, if you haven't subscribed to this show or the Rare Petro Network at this point, why not? This is great information, good questions we have to ask. And there's other countries who have pushed for a greener and cleaner future pretty aggressively. And now they're burning coal and oil to fire their power plants. So keep your noodle aligned. Keep reading different opinions. Keep exploring as much of the world as you can because we've got a lot of contents to sift through. Now, we make content almost daily regarding the energy space. If you want to learn more about that, like I said, follow us, or you can go to our LinkedIn, where we post pretty much everything we publish on pretty much every weekday. So, 
I'll stop plugging us. I know I love to do it. I'm just proud of what we put together because we keep hitting those nails on the head. But this has been Tavis Killian and Anthony McDaniels with the Wacky World of Energy. Until we see you next time, take care, everybody. Thanks, Tavis.